Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, well, we're back. We took a week off and we're back and we have a whole bunch of news to cover, including some landmark Supreme Court meddling with colleges, affirmative action, student debt. And then we want to cover some of the recent news about the 2022 giving report that we actually sent out on the on email last week. Nick, how's it going? You got some very yellow lighting right now. You're like banana mode. I'm in the banana room right now. Very 90s yellow, which is not super flattering. So for the folks who walk, watch this podcast, the super fans, I apologize. But I want to take us in right to our first story. And this is, of course, that last week, the Supreme Court delivered two landmark rulings on affirmative action and student loans. So these two rulings were quite significant. The first of which struck down affirmative action in college admissions, and the other rejected President Biden's plan to discharge federal student loan debt. So the affirmative action decision mandates colleges and universities seek alternate means to achieve diversity within student bodies beyond considering race outright, overturning essentially a precedent of 45 years. So in this 6-3 ruling along conservative liberal party lines. The ruling was written by Chief Justice John Roberts with concurring opinions by Thomas and the dissents from Sonia Sotomayor and Kentucky Brown Jackson, who argued that these that this decision rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. The ruling indicated that while students may write about how race has impacted their lives, institutions may not apply a regime that establishes a race-based preference for admissions a verdict that has prompted some institutions to reassess their commitment to diversity. Many universities put out email statements saying that they would address diversity in other ways. Of course, this really is going to shake up college admissions. I'm sure universities have been preparing for this for a while. This decision was not surprising given the current makeup of the court, but one that will be impactful nonetheless. In a separate ruling, the Supreme Court ruled that President Biden's plan to forgive some or all student loan debt was unconstitutional, arguing that the administration exceeded its authority under law. This was also a 6-3 decision that means that the HEROES Act does not grant the Secretary of Education the ability to forgive essentially hundreds of billions of student loan debt. And the overall takeaway here, George, is that these nonprofit universities, many of them private nonprofits, as well as student loan borrowers, which is a high percentage of the public, has just experienced a huge policy shift coming from rulings from the court. Of course, with deep implications for higher education, both on the admissions and financial side of things. So George, this is the court we're living with. It is a deeply conservative court, one of the most conservative courts in recent modern American legal history. And what do we make of this? I mean, it's just too much to unpack for, you know, frankly, our my level of expertise in this. I think the, the second order effects are going to be interesting. And that's always what I look for. When you do something this, you know, shockingly sweeping to the process of our educational institution, 
there are going to be some unintended consequences. I mean, we have watched as state by state, absolute ridiculousness has happened post Roe v. Wade just a year ago. And so, you know, initially one of the things I was watching was the fact that just on, on Monday, you had lawyers for civil rights and nonprofit based in Boston. They filed a civil rights complaint on behalf of black and Latino community groups, alleging that Harvard's admission system violates the civil rights act because of legacy and how basically if you have legacy, you have a much higher chance of getting in. And if you write big checks, you have a much higher chance of getting in. So, you know, how do you draw a line on affirmative action versus basically like wealthy action, right? Like wealthy kids, you get in like where and how you draw those lines uh, matter quite a bit for diversity. So I'm very interested on in how that, you know, plays out with regard to the student debt. It is incredible. It's incredibly complex, I think. I think there were the, the, some of the arguments that, you know, wait a minute, if you just do a blanket student debt forgiveness, doesn't that, you know, kind of help indiscriminately people that maybe could pay it back themselves and why are we doing it? Just some stats, you know, you make up your own mind, like 28,000 on average is owed per borrower. There's 1.7 trillion held in student debt. Mind you, you cannot get out of student debt by a bankruptcy, right? That thing follows you to the great, yet you are expected to take on that level of debt before you understand what compound interest is. 55% of students from public four-year institutions had student loans and 57 students, 57% of students from private nonprofit four-year institutions took on educational debt. 92% of all of that debt, that 1.7, 92% is actually held, I believe, in federal student loans. So I think just the the blanket halting of that really missed an opportunity to look at how you could have used student debt as an equalizer for supporting low-income Americans, actually. Done in the right way, I think there was a way to do it. <laughs> I disagree with both rulings, I'd say. Yeah, George, no, that, I think that's that's a fair assessment. And, and I'll, I'll kind of respond to, to each of those because they're a little bit distinct. With regards to the affirmative action ruling, you highlighted that civil rights case on Monday. There have been other lawsuits, <laughs> there have been lawsuits all over the place. Essentially, the Supreme Court, like they did with the row, the cat out of the bag, and now it's something of a legal free-for-all that is really going to upend college admissions and make things much more different. Listen, I'm not defending, you know, I'm not, I'm not a paid spokesperson for Harvard University, right? But, you know, I, I don't care what they do. But I think in general, legal chaos is not good for anyone. And in this case, it's particularly not good, good for the state. lawyers. They bill by the hour. <laughs> it's good. Good for the lawyers. Good for the lawyers. But hey, nonprofit public interest attorneys, we hear you. We support you. Yeah, no, but George, that's exactly right. Like, ultimately, who's this going to impact? It's going to impact students. It's hard to see where colleges become more diverse after this rule and will likely become less diverse, right? It seemed that Roberts kind of put in some kind of get out, get out cards where students can talk about race, but it can't be the sole factor. It has to be based on the individual like experience. But in states where affirmative action has already been made legal at public colleges, diversity went down. So the, the order, the second order effects of this will likely be measurable. So we will follow that Closely, I'm sure there's bound to be significant more flurry of legal action. 
Um, I'm not an attorney, but this is a case I've been following closely. It's something I, I care about. So we'll see where this goes. On the student loan thing, I agree with you. It was, it was kind of controversial, just, you know, kind of a blanket, you know, 10,000 off everybody's balance. But as a borrower myself, you know, I have to support it, right? I'm a, I'm a, I am a self-interested creature. I, it's, it's, listen, listen, we, we support it. I mean, we'll see what happens. But look, I think that there needs to be a fundamental conversation about what higher education in this country is, what it could be and what it shouldn't be. And we are doing ourselves a disservice by having these kind of piecemeal conversations, right? Student loan one-off. Okay, great for, for people who have that debt now. But what about high school seniors who don't yet have that debt and are now facing tuition costs that are ungodly, unseemly? What are we doing? Unacceptable, you know? un-American, unpatriotic, unfathomable. I mean, listen. On listen, a serious note, hold on. So you are a borrower. I'm kind of curious. Like, did you, did you... You know, it's like somebody playing with your bank account in a very, very weird way, right? You have this like 10K of debt sitting on you and you're like, wait a minute, why would I make a single payment to this if there was like a chance? And at one point I felt like you thought there would be a high chance of this, right? You and your friends, I don't know if it's like a conversation that's <laughs> youths today talking about their student debt, but how did that like just personally play out between, you know, you and recent college grads? Yeah, no, George, that's a good question. I I did think there was a high chance, but I think I follow the news closely enough to know that it wasn't a done deal until it was a done deal. And I wasn't going to make financial decisions until I saw that number in my online account actually go down. So I, I kind of I kind of held out a little bit, but it has a very real tangible impact for a lot of people. And the Supreme Court keeps on wanting to rule by decree, you know, for a court that claims not to be very activist. They're certainly making the biggest public policy changes of the decade out here, eliminating Roe v. Wade, ending affirmative action. So we'll see what happens. Going to keep 2024 interesting. Yeah, I just I just really feel for folks that maybe took it as a news headline and wasn't you know maybe following as closely and decided to you know what i'm not gonna i'm gonna hold off on paying my monthly minimums and who cares right like i think there's a there's a very very bad wake-up call coming for millions of americans yeah it's true americans don't like having to suddenly pay ten thousand dollars more i may not know america but i know it this well yeah well talking about I guess on the, the topic of, of giving, you know, moving to the news that we sent out last week about the U.S. philanthropy dropping $17 billion, uh, really coming from a drop in individual donors. And I'll just take a step back. This is coming from the, the Giving Institute. This is an annual Giving USA report on philanthropy, one that I really do look at as a bellwether of what's going on. Really good actual, you know, data sorted and then turned into this report and, and broken down. But, you know, that also means that the gross domestic product percentage, which, you know, I come back to, it's always, you know, it's always a little above 2%, always a little above 2% since like 1972, we go on the gold standards. You could look at 
whatever GDP is and say like, give me 2% of the number and I'll show you giving. And this is in, in recent memory, 1.9% now is the percent of gross domestic product to charitable giving, which is a little alarming. And it's even worse. Maybe you can talk about like the inflation effects as well. This is just raw dollars I'm talking about. When you add in inflation, it gets even messier. Yeah, George, I, I think that's exactly right. And just to read out some of the numbers again. So charitable giving in the United States experienced a decline in 2022. Donations dropped to $499 billion, which is down 3.4% from 2021 and 10.5% after you adjust for inflation, as reported by the nonprofit Times. And the Giving USA Foundation's report attributes this increase to inflation, economic uncertainty, and a decline in individual donors, which is what's most concerning. So individual donations declined 6.4% from 2021 representing 64% of overall giving and foundation giving increased by 2.5%, representing 21% of all giving. So you had a significant decrease in individual donors and a, a little increase in institutional foundation giving, but that did not account for the overall decline in individual donations. So of course, the report also says that religion and religious affiliated organizations topped the list in terms of total donation revenue at $143.5 billion. But George, taking a step back, you talk about the, the macroeconomic complications of the economy, but charitable giving dropping to those levels against GDP for the first time in, in recent memory. How should nonprofits, nonprofit fundraisers, nonprofit communications professionals be thinking about this decline? And how do we essentially rebuild donor urgency, donor trust, and activation to, to calls to action, especially now that this year is an off year on political cycle. And we see donations kind of ramp up with political giving as social issues come to the forefront. But that's not this year. That's not until next year. For this year, how should nonprofit communications, fundraising, development, and other folks think about these numbers? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think this is a tale of the long tail issue. There's a lot of people pointing to the fact that there's been maybe strategic shifts in the way that nonprofits have messaged small, mid-sized donors in a strategic way, rather preferring toward the high net worth, you know, curation of, of a donor pool. And on a whole, yes, you know, like one thought might be, how are we bringing up and nurturing in an efficient way frankly, those small mid donors a bit more. And it's also kind of tough because it's not equally distributed. I think you get a misled by, oh, it's down like 3.4% or 10% after inflation. What I actually was more curious about is like which area, you know, human services, education, health, you know, international affairs, and actually was public society benefits. That categorization representing 9% of the total pie of overall giving, that actually dropped by 15%. So public society benefit nonprofits had and saw 15% decline after just in the 2020 to 2021, they saw a rise of 11.8%. So I think this is a sort of post-COVID rebalancing, unfortunately, in addition to a scarcity mindset of the long-tail donor that really was the dominant narrative last year with the markets declining, interest rates doing what they did, and money becoming getting squeezed out of the system. So those 
those pieces combined, I think, is is that perfect storm that brings us below that 2% of GDP giving ratio. You know, you need these like very, you know, you know, un- unfortunate series of events to occur to push that number where where it went to. I'm hoping that there's, you know, a strong rebound, frankly, in the market and the mindset, more importantly. And so maybe, and maybe that's able to shift this year, but, you know, just, you know, anecdotally, a lot of trends, things we've seen is uh, this year started where, where last year left off, which was tentative at best. No, George, I think that that's a good, a good analysis. I would think that this year would hopefully be a little bit better as the economy adjusts to inflation, war, and other long-term economic challenges. I think consumer confidence is on the rise. So that's a good Mm -hmm. sign. Uh, Inflation is being contained, which is also a good sign. So maybe some signs for cautious optimism moving into the next few quarters, but we'll definitely keep an eye on this. And I'll be certainly interested to hear about the numbers for this year once it ends. Yeah. I'm, you know, just following on what nonprofits can do when the amount of second order injustice being created by the Supreme Court justices will give a lot of messaging opportunities and frankly, a lot of work that's going to need to be done in the same way we saw massive inflows to groups like Planned Parenthood and affiliates last year in and around the Roe v. Wade and continues, frankly, continues because of the state by state ridiculousness uh, going on. I think we're, we're going to end up in a very similar case where, you know, when you have work for nonprofits to do, it gives you really ready-made top of mind. And that's what I really look for. Top of mind opportunity to message to donors answering the key question of why now? And that becomes abundantly clear when you can tie it to current events. The takeaway is long mid donors communicating around the why now along current events. Absolutely. Although maybe it's a good thing we haven't had any like Earth-shattering global events this year. We've kind of kept those. <laughs> oh gosh, we're only halfway through. What are you doing? All right. In other in other types of news, there is a really interesting nonprofit consultant survey, and we're going to be covering more about this in the future from nonprofitists and partners. And so, if you're ever wondering how much you should be paying for different types of services, or I found more interesting how years of experience of a consultant in the field actually directly correlated to the hourly rate. Very interesting stuff. And that's all available at nonprofitist.com slash consultant survey. Also in our email, and we'll probably cover it in the future. Nick, did I remember a feel-good story? I think I have a feel-good story. I didn't share it with you, so I get to I get to cover it. How about that? <laughs> get the response. Sounds good. Alrighty, where where did I put this then? Okay. Okay. So I have from ABC Action News, Tampa Bay, nonprofit Force Blue teaches Gold Star Children about ocean conservancy. And it's is a really, you know, great way of getting young people out there in the water and is a nonprofit that retains special operations veterans to work with scientific partners and the mission is conservation all around Florida. And it includes kids, school for kids at Vortex Springs in Florida's Panhandle. And it's is interesting too, because the, the children all have a parent who actually have either died or were seriously injured while serving in the military. So great combination of causes right there. That's awesome. That's a win, win, win. Getting those seafaring legs on early for the kids. No, but we love 
ocean conservation here at Whole Whale. Of course, from our namesake, we love whales, we love oceans, we love water, and all of the above. So we love to hear that. I feel like this is a recycling joke, but I never said it on this podcast, so I can use it. Why did the bikeathon participants fail to raise their target amount of money? <laughs> Why? Well, it's a bikeathon, so they were too tired. Oh, Bikes have two oh. tires, so they're too tired. <laughs> See, it's like it's the quality I look for. Really, it's the quality. Well, is that what it is? Making it to the end. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. This week on Bad Dad Jokes Explained for Nonprofits. You're welcome. All right. See ya. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 